Welcome to Business Conversations with your host, business strategist, Clive Enever. Clive is joined by expert guests as they talk business behind the scenes to give you the tools and insights to support your growth, security and serenity as you strive for your success. Welcome to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. I am Clive Enever, business strategist, and we're having a conversation with Ingrid Thompson, about your best business competitive advantage is not what you think. Ingrid specialises in taking the complex and making it simple to understand and providing her clients with what they call superpower. She is the author of number one best-selling book, So You Want to Start a Business, and it's accompanying workbook. Hello, Ingrid, and welcome. Thank you so much, Clive, and hello to the listeners. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. And you wrote a book, so you want to start a business. You know, that's something that I say to lots of people when they talk to me about some help with a business. So you want to start a business. What prompted you to do that? Well, I have put together, I've been working in and around businesses for about 15, 20 years. I started working in small businesses and it's all the knowledge that I have that I've learned because when I started, it was hardly an internet. We used landline telephones and there was not a lot of resources around to actually know what to do. And I think the antithesis of that now is that we have so much information. And so I put together something that was quite simple to follow. And it came out of an accelerator program that I did. It was a 40-week program. with It had a, a, a structure to it. And one of the parts of that was about publication. And publication didn't necessarily need to be a book. It could be blogs. It could be writing on LinkedIn. It could be other types of white papers. So my motivation to write the book was because I thought, there wasn't a lot around at the time, it's about two or three years ago. And people, I think there's two types of people who want to start a business. There's the people who talk about it and they tell everybody, they join all the Facebook groups and they're out there doing it. And there's also people who've got this quiet dream and it's hard for them to find something. And so the book is for both. The book is for the people who want to get it right, they want to get some ideas. Yes, it just helps people lay out who do you need to be to start a business and then what are the steps to go through to have a business. Good on you for putting that sort of information out there. And one of the things that I like to tell people is that the first thing a business should give you, this is Clive's view, might not be everybody else's, but I think the first thing a business should give you is a life. And speaking of a life, I understand you live in somewhere in Sydney, somewhere near the beach. Well, we live in the inner west, which is really only about 10 or 15 minutes. We're early birds. So when you're heading over to Bondi or Maroubra or the Valley, one of the beaches on the eastern suburbs, it is only 10 or 15 minutes at that time of the morning. It takes a bit longer to get home on a Saturday when the sport traffic takes over. But yeah, so we do. We live in the inner west of Sydney. It's a lovely environment. I've, in fact, lived in Sydney for more than half my life now. I grew up in Brisbane and I love Sydney. We're tempted sometimes to move away and then I think I couldn't possibly. I just, yeah, it's a wonderful city to live in. As they say or used to say, home is where you hang your hat and apparently you've hung your hat well. We've hung our hats well. (laughs) (laughs) So although you you live in Sydney, you take this helping people understand the difficult in very simple ways 
worldwide or are you restricting yourself just to Australians? No, well, I work with, so the, the start a business is a very general book. The So you want to start a business is a generic book, but I've chosen with my coaching, my consulting, I'm sort of somewhere between a consultant and a coach because I work with health professionals who are extremely good at what they do. And at the same time, they haven't been taught how to run a business. So they actually don't need a lot of help. It's more of a consulting coaching model where we work on projects at a time. So I have clients in America. I have clients in New Zealand, across Australia. Europe's a bit trickier because of the time zones. The US, the sort of their afternoon, evening is our morning. So the US, even as we've been in the good space with the time zones, even when we move into the more difficult time zones, it still works. Europe can be more tricky. I've had one client in Europe, predominantly North America, Canada, and all over Australia. Well, I'm glad you're exporting Australian ideas all around the world. I'm all for it. (laughs) (laughs) Love it a lot. So running a business, you mentioned that some of the people that want to run a business have this quiet idea, which is not necessarily quiet determination. There is a difference, I think. There are other people who are very excited and go out and put it all out there on Facebook and various other places. How can they turn that activity into a determination to achieve some greater outcome? (laughs) I love that question. Thank you. So there's this tension between wanting to gather information and just getting on with it. So I would say to people, gather some information and at the same time, just get on with it. Put an idea out, an idea called minimum viable product. And a minimum viable product is that idea of what is the basic minimum idea, potential service or product that you could put out so that somebody can get an idea of whether they would pay for it. And that could be taking a, if you've got products, it could be taking a market stall at the local markets. It could be starting to talk to friends and family and beyond that to get maybe five or seven people that might be interested in the service that you're offering. And I really think for people who have never worked in an industry that they're excited to get into is to go work in that. You know, somebody who's an accountant who wants to open a flower shop, go work in a flower shop. See what it's like at six o'clock in the morning going out to the markets in the middle of winter and your hands are, you know, elbow deep in ice cold water. And, you know, there's a lot of things about a business that we don't see from the outside. We see the beautiful flowers, you know, we see the cappuccinos in a coffee shop, you know, we see the nice part of things but we don't necessarily know what's behind the scenes. So if you've never had exposure to an area, go work there. So that's kind of a minimum viable product idea as well. And I was just listening to somebody at a panel discussion last week about people who want to make that transition between a corporate and having their own business. And there was a wonderful young woman who's running a terrific business. It's called Home Help Heroes now, but it's going to be called Like Family very soon. And she's got seven staff and they're recruiting for somebody new. And her suggestion was to someone who wants to start a business is to actually go work in a startup. If you've only worked in a really big business, that working in a startup can give you that real sense of you just have to do everything. You know, there is no other department except, you know, and if it's a small team of four or five people, there's nowhere to hide. There's a high degree of responsibility. So, I have loads of kind of that sort of advice for people who want to get started is put yourself in a position that you can experience it 
and or that you can take your idea to market in some small way. So if you don't want to lose the income, start a side hustle, do something on the side, do it at the weekends, you know, instead of laying on the couch or instead of being out to brunch and, you know, having having long, <laughs> long times in coffee shops and things, you know, like put the time into actually doing some of the work for the business. So research is good, mm. hands-on research is better. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because, you know, there's no point developing something if there's no market for it because that is that one of the biggest reasons businesses fail is that somebody's got a really great idea but there isn't a market for it or they haven't been able to find the market for it. Yes, identifying the client is perhaps one of the most important things about business so that we know who we're speaking to. So what clues are you able to provide that might help somebody identify who is their actual client and do they actually exist? Well, particularly because I work with a lot of health professionals, they have experience in their field. So it could be a physiotherapist working in somebody else's physiotherapy practice. It could be a yoga instructor working in somebody else's yoga studio. So they'll start to develop in their speciality a feel and connection with a certain type of client. And so if they look on the day sheet and they see that Troy is coming in today and Troy's a runner and Troy's got an injury and he wants to get back on the track, maybe Troy is the ideal client. And so there would be lots of people like Troy who are runners and who have an injury and who want to get back on track. Or it might be prenatal or, you know, that what is that speciality? And I think there's a lot to be gained from understanding who is it that you're working with right now, particularly for a service business who is that person that you're already connecting with? So it's important to understand that your client actually wants the services that we provide. So it's not all about us. It's mostly about the client, but the client needs what we provide, not what someone else provides. Yeah, exactly. So if you've got a skill, if we think of Troy in the running, if Troy wants to be back on track and you know how to get Roy, Troy back on track, the value that Troy gets from coming to you is the fact that you can get him back on track. You can hold him accountable. You know how to do the exercises. You can map him out a plan. He can see the future and he can see that you can take him there. And that's really for any service model is that what is that future state that somebody wants to be in and how can you provide the value that will get them to it? That's excellent advice to actually understand the value that we provide. I think a lot of the, from my experience, a lot of the reason people fail to understand who they get enough custom, I should say, as you were saying earlier, is they don't understand the value of what they actually provide. Do you run across that in your work? Absolutely. And it can be very difficult for people to articulate, you know, and it's something I'm going to be 100% honest, you know, sometimes I struggle to articulate it myself. And it's only when someone actually says to me, ah, oh, I would never have thought of it like that. And it's that's the value I provide when I'm able to help somebody see something in a way that they haven't thought of before. And it just, you can see the relief in the shoulders. You can hear the relief in the voice. Somebody now takes a new piece of information that they've been struggling to understand. And by me just asking some simple questions or by me getting them to explain their process out loud, that's the value that I provide is a space for people to think, a space for people to be able to understand what it is they do and who it is that they do it for. It's that objectivity raising its head again that 
you from outside can see things that I inside just don't see. Yeah. And there's things that Troy's doing that he can't see that the physiotherapist or the Pilates instructor or the chiropractor that they can take. It's exactly the same model is that we can't see it because it's too close or, yeah, we're too caught up in it. So we actually have to communicate with each other. Does that mean we have to have conversations? (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because, you know, a lot of people who do what they do actually say they would love to do what they do if it just didn't mean they had to have a team or they just didn't have to have clients that they could just do what they love doing. That's not how it works. Having desire to help other people is a super important part of it. Indeed, and I love to hear from those people who think it would be great if they didn't have to have a team because uh, (laughs) I like showing folks that having a team is actually a good thing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm in the process of bringing on board a new – I've just engaged with a new virtual assistant organisation and it's a slightly different model to what I've worked with in the past and it's taking time to map that out and to plug the holes that I have in my processes. And I'm committed to it because I'm absolutely determined that this is going to make my life easier. So sometimes we, it's the pain to the gain. Oh, indeed. And I think you're right. It's mapping out the process is super important and not just from the, your own ability to understand it, but the ability that it provides you to explain it to someone else in a way that they can see, actually, this probably works. Is that reasonable? Yeah. Yeah, and I think when we're talking about team, because, you know, a lot of the people I work with need to employ other people because they just physically can't do everything themselves. And, you know, that recruitment process, no one teaches people how to do that. When you're learning how to be a chiropractor, nobody's teaching you HR. I mean, I'm blessed with having spent almost 20 years in the corporate world, so I know what HR is. I know there's rules about how you employ people. There's standards of pay. I mean, it's amazing how many people just don't understand that all of that HR is such an important part. Having job descriptions, setting people up, making it really clear how, what are the expectations of the role before the person even comes in, onboarding people. It's a whole process that many people don't do well and then they wonder why they can't get good people. Yes, I think through the years I've found that good people turn up in response to good stories. Yes, yes. And if your story isn't right, you're probably not going to get the right person. Yeah. So when you say story, is that around values, mission, vision? Is that what you call story? Indeed, yes. All about the value that one provides to the customer. Mm. And that makes it, I've found it makes it really easy if you can explain that in a very simple way that people who want to help can see I belong here. Equally, people who don't belong there can see, well, hang on, how can I help? Mm. And they will turn away, whereas the one that you want actually turns up and makes it really easy to hire folks. And I found they don't want to leave. (laughs) (laughs) Because they love being there so much. And And they'd stay even if you didn't pay them. And yeah. Yes, and mind you, you've got to pay them. (laughs) On that, a really interesting thing that came up in this discussion the other day at this panel is that when Jenna was explaining about having a job in a startup, it was interesting because it sounded to me like there was a belief that if you go to work at a startup that you actually don't get paid or you don't get paid much or, you know, maybe the owner doesn't get paid much. But, you know, if you're working in a startup, 
you're still paid the way you would be paid if you worked in an insurance company or a bank or you may not have all the peripheral benefits that go with that, like the increased superannuation amounts and, you know, but there's a lot of other benefits to being in a startup or being in a small business that you just don't get in a big business. And, you know, while many people want to start a business, having a job is really honourable. You know, we can't all run a business. Businesses need employees and being an employee is a really honourable thing as well. Absolutely. And the thing about being an employee, I think, is to actually put yourself in a place similar to what I was talking about before. That is somewhere that you actually want to be where you can deliver a good quality service. As you point out, Ingrid, there are a lot of us who don't want to run a business. There are probably a few running businesses who don't want to run a business. However, that's not really a good Some days I don't want to run mine. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, when you're running a business and growing a team, the importance of delivering the right information to a prospective employee cannot be overstated. I'm working with some people at the moment who have what can loosely be described as a team. It's changing relatively quickly, but people having been brought on without clear understanding of what the role entails Mm. means that later on you're going to have issues, Mm. (laughs) staff issues, and Mm. they are not good. Whereas if you bring people on, I found, with clear understanding of what is there, the people who don't like what the job entails don't stay. They, They might apply thinking, wow, this might be good, but they'll find out pretty quick, hang on, this is not for me, and they'll go away, which is good. Yeah makes it easy to employ the right people. So when we look at, say you want to start a business, is there a frightening word that causes people to think, no, I don't really? (laughs) Long hours, cash flow. (laughs) You have to do everything yourself. It's the flip of I'm going to be my own boss. Yeah, and you are every department as well. So (laughs) there's a few of those. But there's the good side of it. There's the independence as you make the decisions. I think if you're not someone who's good at selling or you're not good at relating to people and putting your ideas forward as, you know, buy my stuff, that can be very challenging for people if they've never had to do that. And I see that a lot with health professionals who move into having their own clinic or their own practice or their own business. And, you know, that could be an acupuncturist or, you know, somebody who does massage someone who's very in that empathetic environment, they find it very hard to charge money. When somebody says they can't afford, they give them discounts. And there's this awful cycle. And I do believe that women probably do this more than men, but I think men do as well, is that they're sort of undervaluing themselves and then they discount and they don't charge enough and then they feel undervalued and then this whole cycle goes round in circles and so it's that really being able to be strong enough to say this is how much I'm worth and then going back to what we were talking about 10 minutes ago about value you know what is that value that you provide and what is the client prepared to pay and when we marry those two nicely together it allows us to uphold within ourselves the value of ourselves is that right Yeah, it does. My sister recently had an accident. She fell down the stairs and she hurt her leg and her hip and she went to a physiotherapist who charges nearly $500 an hour. 
Now, in the physiotherapy world, that's an extreme amount of money, but he has done for her in a couple of weeks. It's priceless. Like you just can't. It's a lot of money and she's had to pay it, but, you know, and maybe not everybody's in a position to do that, but to recover from the injury that she had, you know, that is priceless and that's the price that he charges. And, I mean, he's got a financial model that allows that. But I do wonder if there's a sort of, a hairdresser model to be had for health professionals is what I call a hairdresser model. If you go to, and men do it too, you can go to the barber and you can go to the local barber and get your hair done for $10 or $12 or we've got somebody local who's 20. But we've got some fancy pants barbers that you get a beer and you sit in this beautiful chair and there's nice music playing and everybody's pretty hipster. And I think, you know, people are paying $50 and $60 for that haircut. So, you know, people will pay for what they value and you know, is the haircut that much different? I mean, if maybe it is, <laughs> but for women, the same, you know, you've got people paying four and $500 for a haircut and you've got people paying $50 for a haircut. So, you know, it's that service model of being able to provide the full value. So that brings us to a really important point. The expensive barber and indeed the expensive hairdresser is all about experience. So is there a message in that, in your hairdresser model suggestion, that perhaps some of us in business should look more to the experience we provide people rather than just selling you a tap or whatever it is? Yeah, it totally is. And I think the research is showing that into the 20s, so it's 2020, I was going to say 1920, it's 2020 right now, but this 2021, 22, into the 20s, experience is really what people are paying for. And it's all age groups. You know, we hear that there's certain age groups are much more about experiences than things, but this is across all age groups. You know, as people are making choices about how they spend their money and how they spend their time, they want the experience for it. And for all of our listeners, after you mentioned 1920s, in 1920s, it was all about experience. And no, I wasn't there, but <laughs> I have that interesting? <laughs> and yes, it really is about experience. If you're in business and you're not providing people with an experience that they can enjoy, an experience that helps them grow, provides the value that they're after, you better go and see Ingrid's book so you want to start a business. <laughs> And I have a podcast of the same name. I thought it was easier to just keep everything with the same name. And I interview people and we, we talk about the journey to getting started in business. You know, what's that moment when you know it's real? How do you know there's a market? It's important for people who want to start a business to be around people who in business and learn from them or be around people who have had successful businesses and unsuccessful because we learn a lot from the mistakes. And there is no such thing as an overnight success. I think that's one of the other things, if I was to say, what are the scary words? If you're thinking that you're going to be an overnight success, dream on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Golly, yes, the overnight success. Only took 20 years. In two of my podcasts, I interviewed two people that could look like they had overnight successes because their businesses took off really quickly. But you don't see the four or five years preparation that was done before they actually launched the business. So there was a lot of preparation. There was a lot of research. There was two or three experiments with different things. And then the one that really made it. 
So while it can look like an overnight success, there's often a backstory. Absolutely right. And if we can just pick on a person of history who most people will be aware of, there's a fellow called Henry Ford started a (laughs) motor company and did rather well because his descendants are still operating it and it's still doing quite well, notwithstanding that motor cars through the years have changed. But many people won't be aware that that was his third attempt. Mm. First two didn't work. Mm. So we have to keep going. We have to keep looking. But we talked about providing people with an experience. I know that something that you talk about a lot, or at least embody if I, is kindness. Tell us about kindness in business and in life. The reason this comes up for me is that I was asked the question about kindness on a podcast that I was on. And it really had me thinking about what does kindness mean? And I did some research. I asked people, what did kindness mean to them? And where had they had kind acts done to them? And it was really, people said, there's a lot of kindness, but they couldn't actually put their finger on something that is kindness. And I recently heard an expression, and it's be kind rather than being right. And I think in today's world, we get very caught up in being right. And when it comes to the customer experience, you know, years ago, there was that thing that said the customer is always right. Rule number one, the customer is always right. Rule number two, if you're in doubt about rule number one, go back to, if the customer's wrong, go back to rule number one or something like that. It was that sort of thing about, you know, and the customer is not always right. Like they do sometimes make mistakes. They do sometimes mess things up. But as part of this customer experience and part of kindness and the moving away from needing to be right, we can make that experience feel for them like they are right. Is it that by being compassionate to that, not necessarily empathetic, but compassionate to it and being kind about the experience, particularly for the people I work with who are health professionals, particularly people who, you know, want to provide a service. And it's not to say being taken advantage of. That's not what kindness is. It's about really just being kind. What I like to call going forward with positive intent, a kind heart and a generous spirit. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I'll add that to my repertoire of kindness, yeah. You can do that. That's something that I've tried to present all of the years I've been operating in business and various other things, I've found that if one is kind and generous generally, one receives kind and generous in return. Generally Um, it does. And I think that goes to Stephen Covey's Seek First to Understand. You know, this is all wrapped up in this mm -hmm. same kind of pocket of emotions and feelings. And if we seek first to understand first, and that is the kindness and the generosity, and then we find out the truth and you know, we make stuff up all the time and it's not always true. That truth might be frightening for some people. (laughs) However, (laughs) this has been a great chat and I don't want to finish it just yet, but we are getting close to the end. Yes. Ingrid, what is the best tip you have received from a business conversation? It's something I actually heard recently, but it probably goes to what I've heard all my life in terms of business. and. You know, it's do what you say you're going to do. If that's who you are and what you say you're going to do, then deliver what you say you're going to do. And tied up with that is that notion of stay in your lane. 
Now, that's different to not my aisle, which is, you know, what we used to say in the airline industry is that, you know, if, if somebody, if you ask a question, somebody will go, oh, you're not in my aisle, so I'm not going to serve you. It's not about that. It's about staying in your lane. Like, what are you good at? What do you know? Do what you say you're going to do and keep in your lane. I think that's my best advice is and because I'm a bright, shiny object girl. I get distracted so easily. And it's just so important for me every morning when I'm setting my intention for the day is to just know that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do and I'm going to stay in my lane today. Be who you claim to be, perhaps. Be who I claim to be, exactly. Beautiful. I like it. What is the top piece of advice you'd like to leave listeners with today, Ingrid? Perfectionism is the antithesis of evolution. And we wouldn't be who we are if it hadn't been for evolution and perfectionism has no place in evolution. So if you want to evolve into the person you want to be and if you want to evolve the business, it's time to leave behind perfectionism. Now, you know, is a B plus enough or an A minus or even a B minus? Like it, but done is better than perfect and there's no room in business for perfection. Indeed. I had a, a good chat in a recent podcast with somebody exactly that topic and it can't be emphasised enough. <laughs> if we want perfection, let's think about perfection as a journey, not a destination. And, so, and I think the only people that you absolutely want perfection from are heart surgeons and, you know, the guy laser beaming my eye and, you know, there's a few things that we can have perfection, as close to perfection as we possibly can, but everything else... A B plus or an A minus will do. <laughs> I like it. But most importantly, Ingrid, before we let you go, how can our listeners connect with you to start their own business conversation? Well, there's a couple of ways. I have a website called healthynumbers.com.au and I have a bit.ly code, so B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash that book will take you to a page where you can order a copy of my book physically or you can go to Amazon and get a Kindle version. So you want to start a business and you can listen to the podcast. And there's a ton of resources. LinkedIn is a great way to connect with me. I have a ton of resources there and happy to answer anybody's questions. And, of course, the information in So You Want to Start a Business is probably not restricted to the understanding of people who do not yet have a business. Absolutely. It's a really, somebody just said to me this week, she said, Ingrid, I'm just loving your book. Physically, it's beautiful because it's got a really lovely cover and it's a really lovely colour, but it's just so easy to read. It's, yeah, it's been edited by a proper editor and it's been through a proper publishing process. So it's, you know, it's a quality publication and it's doing good work. It's really helping people get started in their own business. Excellent. And website address again was healthynumbers.com.au and it's simply healthy numbers altogether. No fancy things inside there. Healthynumbers.com.au. Because that's what we want, healthy numbers, healthy clients, <laughs> healthy numbers of profits, healthy number of cash flow. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, we do. Ingrid, this has been an absolutely wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for being here. And Thank you for asking great questions. <laughs> I enjoy it. I get really good answers when I ask good questions. There could be a message in there. In I think there is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. Make sure you subscribe to future episodes via your favourite podcast app. 
And you can find more business resources at cliveenova.com.au.